Amen. I read a story this week in a little book called When Daylight Comes, and the story is about a little boy who goes to visit his grandparents. And while he's there, he receives his first slingshot. And so he's practicing. He's out in the woods behind his grandparents' house. He's using the slingshot. He's not hitting any of his targets. He's getting super frustrated. So he goes back to his grandma's house. And as he's heading towards her house, he sees her pet duck. And he takes his slingshot one last time and lets fly and boom, hits the duck. The duck is dead. So this boy is like, ah, freaking out. And he takes the dead pet duck and he goes and he buries it in the wood pile. And when he turns around, he sees his sister Sally, who is watching the whole thing. She saw everything. So a little bit later, she didn't say anything, but a little bit later in the day, the grandma is like, uh, hey, Sally, can you help me with the dishes? And Sally's like, actually, my brother Johnny wants to help you with that. And then to the side, she goes, hey, Johnny, remember the duck? And then a little bit later, kind of same thing happens where the grandpa's like, you know, uh, I want to go fishing. Who wants to go fishing with me? The grandma's like, I need some help with making dinner. And again, Sally is like, oh, I'll go fishing with grandpa because my brother wants to help with making the dinner. And then remember the duck. Okay, this little story perfectly illustrates to me how we often live with worry and anxiety that comes from past mistakes. And we have these voices in our mind, in our heads, in our hearts that say, remember the duck? Like, remember what you did? Because of what you did, you're not worthy of this. You're not worthy of this love. You're not worthy of this belonging. You're not worthy of this endeavor. In fact, you're worthless. Remember the duck? Remember what you did? Some of our worry and some of our anxiety stems from this haunting from past mistakes that we have made. In Christ, for those who are in Christ, that is secure but our mind can still condemn us, accuse us, say all sorts of nasty things about us, and it can cause us to worry and be anxious and afraid about things that we've done in the past. So today we're just continuing this series, Why Worry? And we're basically talking about the problem of worry and anxiety in our lives. And we're learning what does the scriptures say? What do the scriptures teach? What is the prescription they give as a solution to worry? And we're basically walking through a passage in the book of Philippians where the Apostle Paul says these words. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He closes by saying, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. 
whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And then he says this, the God of peace will be with you. So in this series, this whole month, what we're doing is we are taking the words that Paul gives us. Whatever is true, that was the first week. Whatever is noble, that was last week. Today we're actually looking at whatever is pure. Because what Paul is saying is basically there's two cliffs. One is our worry and our, our anxiety, and the other is what he calls the peace of God. And he's saying the way we move from the cliff of anxiety and worry to this peace of God is by thinking on such things. So what are the things? Think on what is true. What does it mean to think on what is true? It's to think on what is real and not the story I'm making up in my head. When he says, think about what is noble, what's noble is that you are a child of the Most High King. And so much of our worry and our anxiety we talked last week stems from this trying to impress others or keep up an appearance. But when we know our identity, our nobility in Christ as beloved children, co-heirs with Christ, that's secure. So today we're looking at whatever is pure. Now, the word pure is kind of an interesting word. A lot of times when we think about the word pure, we think unblemished. But when the scriptures use the word pure, it is not unblemished. Rather, it is cleansed. What is pure is what is cleansed. And so uh, what does it mean to think on what is pure? It means to think on what is cleansed, what is forgiven. So what is pure and what is cleansed and what is forgiven is your life in Christ. So to think on that is to move from that cliff of worry to that place of the peace of God. Once you have come to faith in Christ, the reality is you are forgiven totally, fully. That means that Christ's sacrifice on the cross completely forgives our guilt, our sin, our shame, past, present, and future. But often, rather than receiving that as a gift, that receiving that forgiveness, we think, ugh, I messed up again. Now I need to prove myself through a string of good choices or getting myself back on the right path. And so, in other words, we say, um, rather than receiving this gift of forgiveness, which requires a posture of humility, we say, mm -mm, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to receive that. I'm just going to try to work my way out of this guilty conscience, this feeling of having fallen short of the values I espouse. Forgiveness, cleansing, can be instant at any given moment. Forgiveness, cleansing, can be instant at any given moment. Transformation, spiritual formation, that's a process. That's a process of growing in Christ-like character for the sake of other people. But forgiveness, cleansing, that's instant. And transformation and spiritual formation, that process of becoming, of growing into Christ-like character, that begins with 
receiving God's mercy, receiving that forgiveness and that cleansing. Because let's be honest, we all have skeletons in our closet. Every single one of us. We all have times when we do not live by the values that we espouse. And some of our anxiety and some of our worry comes because our consciences condemn us. And conscience is a very funny thing. Your conscience is almost like the witness to a crime in your soul. Your conscience is aware of your whole life, and when you act in a way inconsistent with your values, your conscience responds. It knows. And you have that sense of your conscience condemning you. Conscience is always asking this question, are my actions aligned with my values? And when my actions are not aligned with my values, my conscience tells me so. Okay, so when my conscience tells me so, there's two routes. What I can do on one side is I can just say, my conscience is condemning me right now. I minimize that, deflect that, distract myself from that. I can say, I don't really value that anymore anyway. I'm just going to change my values. Or I can receive the forgiveness available to me. I can confess my sin, my shame, my guilt. And the scriptures say, God is faithful and just to forgive me and cleanse me, purify me of all unrighteousness. There's two routes. One is a lot about me being in control. And the other is a lot about me submitting to the reality of the free gift God offers me in Christ. It's a lot about my aligning myself with his mercy. Jesus said that in this world, we are going to have trouble. So part of our journey with worry and anxiety is to just simply recognize in this world, we're going to have trouble. Sometimes uh, what happens is someone comes to faith in Christ. They start to follow God in the way of Jesus. In the beginning, they're so full of the peace of God. And they're like, this is amazing. And they think that peace of God they're experiencing is immune from attack. If we think that, we are wrong. The peace of God, the joy of God is not immune from attack. The scriptures talk about the flaming arrows of the evil one. And the flaming arrows of the evil one come in the form of these voices that go, remember the death? Remember what you did? You're not worthy. So to think on what is pure is to think on what is forgiven in Christ, what is cleansed, because of his death and his resurrection. One of the most frequent ways we should expect to get attacked is just this. The enemy of God wants you to be immobilized by your failures and your regrets. That's what he wants. The enemy of God wants you to be immobilized by your failures and your regrets. So that you can no longer love because you are so stuck in the space that says, 
remember the duck. When our guilt and our shame builds up over time, it can reach a point where you are just, your personality is so far from who God designed you to be. It's like this build up of shame that disguises the true person that God created in you and the beauty and the glory of no one like you. It's this layer upon layer upon layer of shame. But God's given a way, provided a way for freedom. It's interesting, um, if you've ever been to Seattle, you may have visited the local landmark called the Market Theater Gum Wall. It is an eight-foot tall, 54 feet wide wall that stretches the length of an alley. It is covered in used gum, chewed gum. It is often several inches thick. It was in 2015 cleaned for the first time in 20 years. And it took them four days, and they took off over 2,000 pounds of gum. Because what was happening is the sugar from the gum was literally eating away at the brick of the wall behind it. It's amazing. Only in Seattle, right? <laughs> so they cleaned it up, and then they took measures to protect that wall so that the bricks would, you know, that people could put gum back on it, but it wouldn't, the sugar wouldn't get into the brick. And to me, that is a good picture of our conscience. Imagine all of the junk that we have built up, stuck on top of each other, covering everything else up. And when it stays there, it eats away at you. Just like it eats away at the brick. So we need our consciences cleansed. We need it wiped clean. So this passage in Hebrews tells us there's one way, there's only one way, according to the teaching of the scriptures, there's only one way for our consciences to be cleansed, and that is through the blood of Christ. The only way is to experience, experience the cleansing that comes from forgiveness. The forgiveness that cleanses our conscience. So the passage in Hebrews says that, you know, there is this Old Testament system. In the Old Testament, what would happen was that people would sacrifice a bull or a goat. They would sacrifice an animal. And this passage says that that took care of things externally. You made a sacrifice, you could approach God externally. But the writer of Hebrews says it did not take care of the internal state. But when Christ came, his sacrifice did more than the Old Testament system could do. It did so much more. Carl Menninger, famed psychiatrist, once said that if he could convince the patients in psychiatric hospitals that they were forgiven, he said 75% would probably walk out tomorrow. That's a bold statement. We all need forgiveness. 
Not long before she died, Marguerite Lasky, a well-known secular humanist and novelist, told an interviewer, she said, what I envy most about you Christians is your forgiveness. And then she said, I have no one to forgive me. Our world offers this plethora of options when it comes to our shame, our guilt, when it comes to our conscience condemning us. Our world is going to say, distract yourself. Like, just get busy. Minimize that. Not a big deal. It's going to say, numb out with entertainment. But all of those options don't get to the root which is my conscience is condemning me and I am in need of forgiveness, the only route to true freedom. We can gloss over our mistakes. We can say things like, ah, nobody's perfect. Everybody makes mistakes. You just got to love yourself. All of those have a kernel of truth, but they don't get at the root. Hebrews 9.14 says, the cleansing of our conscience comes from the blood of Christ. How much more then, Hebrews says, how much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences so that we may serve the living God? How does that specifically work? It's pretty simple, but sometimes feels hard. It's pretty simple because it basically goes like this. If we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us and to purify us. But often I would rather try to get out of this myself than humble myself and receive this free gift. Sometimes we think, I did that once. And so we're not, we don't see confession as an ongoing part of our lives. The blood of Jesus is meant to not just objectively say you're forgiven, but also subjectively impact your internal state. That is what it looks like to think on what is pure. Because the attacks that we experience on our conscience they're kind of like these hound dogs coming after us, saying things like, remember the duck, remember what you did. You're not worthy. Who do you think you are? And we desperately need our consciences cleaned. We just sang a moment ago, my sin is great, your love is greater. That's the heart of it. In Aaron Lutzer's book, Putting Your Past Behind You, he tells this story. In the 14th century, Robert Bruce of Scotland was leading his men in a battle to gain independence from England. And near the end of the conflict, the English wanted to capture Bruce to keep him from the Scottish crown. And so they put his own bloodhounds on his trail. And so he and his men were fleeing, and his own bloodhounds were behind him, chasing him, following his scent. And he started to hear them. They were very close. The dogs were very close. He could hear them baying and barking and close behind. And one of his attendants said, this is it. We're done for. The dogs are right there. 
there, I mean, this is the end. And Robert Bruce said, no, 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 come with me. And he went into a river of water in the forest. And he plunged in and he waded upstream and he got out into a thick forest. And the dogs, they came and stopped. And they lost the scent. They lost the trail. The stream of flowing water had broken the trail, had broken the scent. And so he was safe on the other side. And in Aaron Luther's book, uh, Erwin Luther's book, he says, that is how it is with our guilty consciences. That there is a stream that flows red with the blood of Christ. And at that point, we experience forgiveness and purification and cleansing. And on that other side, we cannot be touched because we are safe in him. Here's the thing. The memory of our sins can be like those flaming darts of the evil one. But the trail is broken. And we just need to receive that. When, um, when we're riddled with just regret, we kind of have two options. I'm riddled with regret. I can be overrun by that. I can sit there and meditate on that, think about that, be completely... Um, taken down by that or I can choose to view that regret as an opportunity it's an opportunity when my conscience feels the anxiety of regret it's an opportunity to believe again that this whole story I'm living from was never about me trying harder it was always about what God did for me that I couldn't do for myself. So it is an opportunity again to believe, to rehearse the story, to remember, to receive what you've already received in Christ once again. In that way, I begin to live into my purity in Christ. Whatever is pure, whatever is cleansed, whatever is forgiven, think about such things. What's pure and cleansed and forgiven is you in Christ Jesus. Remember that story from the beginning about the boy and the duck, and he shoots the duck, and the duck dies, and his sister sees it, and then she's holding it over him the whole time? The end of the story goes like this. She's holding it over her brother for several weeks until he is finally over it, and so he goes to his grandma, and he just says, Grandma, I killed your duck. And he confesses what he did. And his grandma says to him, I knew that already. Because I was standing at the window, and I watched the whole thing happen. And then she gives him a big hug, and she says, and because I love you, I forgave you. And I just was wondering how long you were going to let your sister keep making you a slave. <laughs> and that is was what is true of you and I in Christ. There is nothing more the enemy of God wants 
than for you to be immobilized with your regrets and your failures. Because God is calling you into a life of love. And it is like Moana walking into the lava monster. And you can't do that yourself. You can't walk right into that lava monster like we talked about a few weeks ago. You can't love radically when you are immobilized with your regrets and your failures. So the invitation is think on what is pure, what is cleansed, what is forgiven. That is you in Christ. Let's pray together as we close. And actually this morning, if it would be meaningful to you, I have a prayer of confession from Psalm 51 on the screen. And I would invite you to pray these words with me as we prepare to come to the table of communion. Together we pray, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Amen.